religion to just things that God has given you in the midst. So go ahead and just please begin to share and we'll move right on into our teaching. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Apostle Teresa and the Scribal Conservatory. Can you all hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. The well-intended release had me thinking I had to call the religious police. The only problem was that the police was the unworthy conscience within me. So I couldn't be saved by the traditions that I call to save me. But the truth is, I desperately wanted to say, 911, what's your emergency? When I reached out for help, illegitimate traditions responded, how can I help? Systemic oppression through man-made philosophies. So there we were, bald and chained, so tightly that I couldn't even hear the living God call my name. I was wrapped like a gift except faulty promises it delivered. All the while, I needed to be delivered. Not delivered unto myself, but delivered into Christ's very next breath. With tradition, I felt dead on the inside. Empty religion had me feeling like there's no way I could survive. Suffocation became my meals. It's like eating rusty nails and expecting to live. On top of that, with religion on my side, confusion was my pills. False discernment was my very three-day course meals. And I even stopped trusting God. Depression from the pressing of promises that tradition just couldn't deliver. Tradition's capacity was far from Christ, who is the real life giver. Because of what tradition had done to me, I felt like a downright catastrophe. But that's when the encounter encountered my heart and broke me free from tradition's faulty past start. Like Nicodemus, I asked, what must I do to be saved? And the response that I received back was something that only the spirit of the living God could have gave. In order to receive new release, I have to be willing to let go of man-made philosophies. Like Nicodemus, I asked, what must I do to be saved? And the response that I received back was only something that the spirit of the living God could have gave. In order to receive new release, I have to be willing to let go of man-made ideologies. Before I could release, I had to release. Because before there could be a release, I had to release, willing to reteach and relearn, rebirth and renew, willing to empty my brain upside down to reconsider the ways, all the things that machine of religion had done to you. A release of the old matter always precedes the release of a new measure. He said the release of an old matter always precedes the release of a new measure. And so I had to persist to be free. I had to be okay with humbling myself and re-examining what I thought was me. So I had to persist to be free by resisting all the illegitimate philosophies that I was once told could save me. I was doing dead traditions for some time before I realized that there's no way they could be alive. It was like breathing where no breath could be found. 
It was like being bound and bound and going in circles round and round. It was like the ugliest desperation that you've ever seen from something that simply refused to give back life to me. And so for years, I wasn't free, bound up by Pharisaic traditions and ideologies and the weight of human philosophy. Used to prophesy only to find out that my own life was a lie. I had bought into human salvation, caught up in man-made so-called religion. I had bought into human salvation. I was even caught up in man's so-called revelation. I sought revelation, but I really needed a release, a new release from all these old man-made ideologies. And I was unraveling. No more dead promises or idolizing repetition. No more dead promises or idolizing repetition. I've worn my shirt so far up on my neck that I want to break a few necks as my own tradition. No more using Christ's name in the name of religion. No more using Christ's name in the name of religion. The fear of what had been done to me, the torment of how I thought things would always be, the emptying of old philosophies. I had to reconsider, y'all. Instead of trying to change the machine, I had to humbly move beyond it. I had to embrace the kingdom as a solution to all these antics. After all, if we are crucified with Christ, then we have already been raised to new life. Those religious teachings that were used in goodwill, they produced ill hearts. Until I humbled myself and saw the machine for what it was, I couldn't set aside religion and receive rebirth. Oh, my goodness. I just want to snap, clap, shake my keys, stand. Look, snap, snap, snap. Come on, Dominique. Thank you for blessing us with that profound word this morning. You have no idea how much you've spoken into what we're going to teach today. I love that because the, the prophetic word and the prophetic declarations, you know, the, the ministry God has put into us can come through on so many levels. And she demonstrated this morning how poetry is one of them and spoken word. Spoken word is a form of poetry. And so thank you for sharing. And you know what I'm going to ask. I definitely want that. But when you have time and consider re-recording it if you want to, so we can just post it for people to enjoy. Put it even on the YouTube channel. If you just want to do your voice, that's fine. But I just think that we need to see these expressions and hear it more often. I want to share right now in the chat, the comments are, um, let's see, there's a lot. But we have already been raised to new life. Um, they produced ill hearts, snap, snap, snap. Amen, awesome, moving beyond machines. Excellent peace. What a message. So powerful. I want you to just be encouraged by the words that you're hearing in the conversation inside the conservatory. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to hear it. So thank you. I look forward to what we're going to hear next week from you all. And we can do more than one poet. 
more than one artist who's interpreting something that they've created or drawn that's relevant to prayer. But we want to always move in this area and just highlight and encourage and motivate you concerning the things of God. Oh, my goodness. So today we're going to be digging into part two, the prayer life of Jesus. And again, I just want to reiterate how important it is for you to be able to um, really reacquaint yourself with foundations in prayer. I know I could teach on a lot of things. In my life, I'm used to being taught what intercession is, what the prayer of Thanksgiving is, you know, what what the prayer of uh, personal prayer going into your prayer closet, all of these different dimensions that we've all been introduced to. Those are powerful. But the issue that we're dealing with right now is looking at our foundations because we've built a lot of things concerning prayer on people, on old covenant, on a whole lot of different things other than Jesus. And we elevate Christ above men inside the scribal conservatory. Christ over Moses is the preferred way because that takes us back to the book of Hebrews where we can see it diligently in the scripture. Now, I also want to challenge you this morning. We've kind of gotten off track with that a little bit, but to really begin studying, not just online, but using your paper Bible. And the Bible we prefer is the New King James Version. The only reason why we prefer that version is because it's clear and it's what is called the Standard Bible, which means it's a good Bible to begin to study from. It's not that we like the publishing company or or that it's the best Bible in the world. For the English language, it's just a better Bible to help us study and get as close as we can to what the scriptures actually say. So that Bible is pretty good in doing that. It's constantly updated as um, terminology is clarified. And I love that about the Bibles today, thanks to all the hard work that's going into digging out the Dead Sea Scrolls and finding the original language and being able to have the meaning of words in context. It allows us to be able to do things that they couldn't do all those hundreds of years ago when the Bible was first translated. So just be encouraged in that. And um, we can talk a little bit more about Bible translations later because I see some crazy stuff from Christians. I mean, crazy stuff. People hate the NIV or, you know, people judging Bibles because of who published it. Just weird, weird things. Just weird. And so we want to be able to bring you into those types of conversations and and have us think practically about them and not mix some of that stuff with our with our faith, right? So we're talking about part two, <clears throat> the prayer life of Jesus. Now, I want to just remind you that prayer in our lives it has been traditionally forged around difficulty. And we see that it's forged around difficulty in scripture. So this isn't bad. One of the things you'll notice in the new covenant, especially when um, the apostles were planning churches, you know, when Jesus was actually in the earth 
walking out his ministry, there was a need for prayer because they were experiencing so much difficulty. Hardship and chaos was at every turn. They had all kinds of needs. They needed all kinds of breakthroughs. So when we talk about prayer, we're not discontenting or we're not dismissing these areas because you know these are the reasons why we pray. These are the reasons why prayer is needed. So I don't want any of us to have any confusion when you hear the things that I'm teaching you last week when we talked about the prayer life of Jesus and this week, what we're doing is sweeping the foundation. We're removing all of the extra stuff that has been added to prayer so we can really see what the Lord's intention for it is and then realign our own prayer life according to what Jesus taught. And that way, when we know what it is that Jesus taught, then we can come back around and say, oh, that's a new book that's coming out. I wonder if it lines up with Jesus's prayer life and the revelation from the foundations. Does it align with foundational doctrine? How is this true to immovable things that Christ has declared? In, in, in the word. I mean, how is this based on the word? And you'll have people say, well, the word is Jesus. All of it is true. That is correct. But Jesus also through his life in the earth and through his resurrection as the Christ gave us a better way. So we always want to be in a position to say what is better about the way that we pray now? What is different? What happened as a result of having the ultimate intercessor? The Bible says in the old covenant, it says that God looked everywhere for one person to intercede and could not find them. Well, he found that intercessor in Jesus, right? Who is sitting on his right hand, interceding for us day and night. So the perfect intercessor, the perfect posture of agreement is with Jesus. He is the agreeer. He is the one that we must come in agreement with for things to be moved in the earth. We agree with one another as we agree with Jesus, as we agree with Jesus. So this is where we're coming from with this. And it's a lot of information. I believe some of you will probably need to go back and study but this is what we believe in the conservatory and how we're building because I want you to be able to discern heresy when it comes into your presence, discern error when you see it. I want you to know when things don't, don't shake out right, not because you feel some kind of way, but because you can validate that way by the word and by the Holy Spirit who is living on the inside of you. Prayer is also forged around goodness. It's also forged around community and blessings. It's forged around agreement, praying for one another. It's forged around partnerships. Let us agree that this business that I have will prosper. You know, it's, it's forged around blessings. I bless my children. You know, I, I bless uh, uh, we just stand in agreement with the release of this anointing on your life. We lay hands on each other. That, so we have all of these different kinds of prayer that are faithful 
and that are true and that are immovable in the things that God has called us to do. We also have our personal communion, the prayers of our tears, the prayers of our desperation when we're having personal hardship, the prayers of presence that comes around us when there is no answer and there's no one to help but God. And we feel his presence come and comfort us and we enter into that place of communion. We have worship that pushes us in that place. So prayer is forever with us. What's important is understanding that Jesus's prayer life gives us the model to do all of these things, the model to pray, the model to stand, the model to move. It's Jesus who gives us the foundation. And he also gives us the, the criteria and the foundation for walking boldly in prayer. I want to tell you that I'm building slowly and it may not seem slow to you, but it is slow to me because there's so many things that I wanna to talk to you about concerning prayer. And this morning I was just sitting here, I got up really early so that I could just be in the presence of the Lord and just really hear what he wanted to share today. And I feel like he wants to talk about the posture of prayer. And then we look at next Sunday, how, the, how Jesus demonstrated that in the earth and how we can see these things in Jesus's life. And I want to give you a point where you can go back and you can study and you can dig out and you can see it for yourself. Because what I don't want to do is for anyone to believe that I'm teaching them something that I thought of and, and when in fact, it's just me studying Jesus's life. Literally, what did Jesus's prayer life look like? And Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that we're willing to lay down everything that we have been taught about how we should pray personally, and we will lift up the life of Christ before ourselves, Lord, that we will say, Lord, I, I'm willing to lay down everything that I have learned to study and to know and to be able to know within the depth of my spirit that this is how Jesus navigated his prayer life in the earth. And these are the things that Christ through the resurrection has taught us to embrace in this newness in the name of the Lord God, I pray that we hear this from the heart that it's been given. We pray Lord for healing for the religious mind in the name of Jesus. We pray for those that love the old way and Lord can't right now see how to jump into the new way, but we are trusting you, Lord, that your daily bread is enough for them, Father, that you are able to say to them, even if you never understand what is being taught today, that they are still with God. Lord, this is not about somebody being a greater this and a greater that. This is not about the superstar intercessor because you have given all of us the same access to the spirit realm concerning our life and our godliness. There is no special person that can pray for you better than you can pray for yourself. And I pray, Father, that that's the truth that we gain in the midst of our lives. Because at the end of the day, when there is no one to pray, that could be the Lord saying, because I'm taking you to the end of yourself, that you know how to rise up and be who I have called you to be. Listen, 
there have been many times in my life when the Lord shut down prophecy, shut down intercession, shut down conversation. I felt like I was on the edge of the world about to teeter off. But the bottom line is this. Our dependency can never be on people. It must always be on Jesus. And if there's a lesson in this, know that the lesson is you have not, you don't have to lean into your own understanding. This is you being forced to lean into the understanding of the Lord. And when we resist him and we want it our way versus the way God has designed it, oh my God, we're in for the battle of all time until we get to the end of ourselves, right? I'm telling you, this is true. You can be mad. You can pitch a fit. People might not respond like you want them to respond. That's a you problem. <laughs> That's a you problem because the solution is always in Jesus, not in another person. Oh my goodness. The solution is always in us. God help us. Help us know that that is the mature path. And it's amazing when we get to that place sometimes and we realize that our expectation has been cast in the wrong place and we humble ourselves, all of a sudden, all those doors for help open up. People are, are right before us again, lending a hand and helping. But sometimes there has to be this breaking on the inside of us to get us to this place. So. Last week, we talked about um, so many different things, but I want you to know that the Jesus's prayer life is teaching us to remember who we are, believe who, he, who we are, live out who we are, and to move into the apostolic life that he lived, to bend into the apostolic mind of, of maturation that he has and all circumstances. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus's prayer life teaches us to remember who we are in him, believe who we are in him, live out who we are in him, and to move into the apostolic life he lived, bend into the apostolic mind of maturation and all circumstances. Oh my goodness. That's a difficult one. And when I say he lived, we know that he's still living. <laughs> you know, we're talking about Jesus's life on earth shows us this. It shows us this so profoundly and so clearly. And I mentioned to you last week that, you know, one of the challenges that we face as believers is understanding that our maturation process, our maturity is based on image and likeness or likeness and image, which is whichever way you prefer saying that. It's becoming more like him every single day. Our prayer life, our way of existing and being should be a catalyst for propelling us into the apostolic mind. Oh my goodness, people don't like the apostolic, but I'm gonna tell you, when you begin to study prayer, through the life of Jesus, literally, and I'm going to say this in the way that I understand it, literally, you are getting messages like this. I see what's happening in your life, but you got to rise above it. 
I see the struggle that you're facing, but I'm calling you to see from a different plane. I'm calling you to remember that whatever you're going through, I'm yet with you. I'm with you in the oasis and I'm with you in the desert. See, the apostolic mind pulls you out of all of that human stuff. Oh, pull me. Look at all that I'm going to devil just running me down. And I always tell people, what are you doing that's causing you to be under more persecution than Jesus? What is it that you're doing? What is it? Is it, it do you is he chasing down your potential? Because most people don't even have the life that commands that kind of a war. This isn't an arrogant statement, but I need you to recognize pity parties when they are occurring because the prayer life of Jesus, listen, he dealt with pity parties head on all next week. I want you to see how he dealt with the woe is me, all that I am going through. I want you to see how Jesus dealt with that, not how Paul dealt with it, not how Peter dealt with it, not how Isaiah dealt with it, not how Ezekiel dealt with it, but how Jesus dealt with those issues. And I want you to understand that Jesus said, it's, it's him we should follow. He said, follow me. And Paul gave, gave this excellent explanation. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, y'all, if you look at me, uh, look, I'm going to be skipping and hopping just like you, but I'm going to do my best to demonstrate before you, I'm going to straighten myself up so that when I get before you, you're going to see my effort. You're going to see my press. You're going to see the trials that I've been through as a witness to how God is moving in my life to convince me that he is with me as I follow Christ. Oh, it's just so profound when we can see the world differently and when we can really focus on the one who set the pattern for everything. Jesus was the greatest apostle, the chief apostle. He was the greatest prophet, the greatest evangelist, the greatest pastor, and the greatest teacher to ever live. Out of Jesus's own life, he said, John the Immerser was the greatest prophet to ever grace the earth. But John said, there's one greater than I who is coming. So why in the world are we continuing to go back and build patterns for things on people who are less and were in a less place than we are now. We're in a greater place. And because we're in a greater place, we need a greater example. This is, this is, oh, Christ over people. Christ over people. I'm sad that so many people think they're prophets like Jeremiah. I am heartbroken that people have Ezekiel as a, as a, as a ladder. I'm sad that some of these prophet liars out here are some people's idols. My heart is broken because nobody is looking to Jesus. He is the greatest. A whole discourse in the book of Hebrews as to why the law of sin and death 
was for that time. But Jesus is the law of life. No death. He's the law of life. He's the law of life. Why are we chasing these things? And I'm going to answer that real briefly. Ego chases it. Importance chases it. Narcissism chases it. Pride chases it. The spirit of this age chases it because people want to be something and they want to use God's gifts to put them there. I'm the super duper prayer warrior. Are you really? Are you really in this age when everyone who is a believer and who has received the spirit has the power of prayer on the inside of them through Holy Spirit? The same access. You have the believer's authority that's given to all of us. And then we have the grace given to us for certain areas. If we ever learn to just respect where the other person's grace lies, we could put all of this prayer competition, which is what it is, to rest. There is not just one person that can get a prayer, prayer through. That's a lie from the pit of hell. They are not anointed simply to get a prayer through. That's not what Jesus taught. You are anointed to get your prayers through. You are anointed. You are anointed. You are anointed. But it all begins in the mind. As a man thinketh, so is he. God doesn't love me. God doesn't hear my prayers. God answers everybody's prayers except mine. As powerful as we are in the earth, those kinds of confessions add up to one thing, your real, authentic inner belief system. Your inner conversations are what hinder you because you don't believe God is great enough to overcome those things. But don't worry, there's hope for us. That was my whole life for years. That's how I lived my life. But I had to put to work the mind of Christ to get myself in that place so that I could believe God could hear me. Otherwise, I'll be chasing everybody who got a good word. Every, every prophet I come in contact with, that I'm looking, can you give me a word? What is God saying? I mean, that's all you're going to do when you don't know your own authority. And when you believe you got to constantly hear somebody affirm you. Please don't get upset. This is a message for the body. And one of the things that we struggle with in the church, because we've had so much motivation, people don't like to be corrected. But if you read the scriptures, that's all it is. All it is is alignment. It's, it's, it's a desire to love you to a place of knowing who you are, loving you to a place of you being able to walk in the authority that you have been given. Oh my God. Jesus' life gives us the model, not just his prayer life, but his life gives us the model to do all of these things in power and in authority. How is my prayer life just, just attached to my mind? When you're a baby, you do what a baby does, right? 
you do what a baby does. But when you start growing up, expectation changes. You can't expect to have a baby mindset and, you know, a baby, you can't expect to have an adult mindset if you don't move from a baby to an adult. Oh my goodness. We are, we need to clear all the dust off. We need to get rid of all them books that somebody took from their own prayer life and decided they were going to throw you. I don't read any of those things unless they're affirmations, declarations, decrees, unless they're reinforcing Jesus. Keep your book. You're not fixing to confuse me. Sorry, you're not about to confuse me on that. Oh my goodness. It's the mind. How can we set foundations if we're using other people's revelation that's building something counter Jesus built on his foundation. Look, we went through some agreements last week. I'm just gonna run through a couple of them. One is Jesus's yoke is easy, his burden is light. Some of this stuff folks got y'all doing, making his yoke heavy and his burden heavy. I mean, you, you, you twisting around, looking at grandma devil, she dead. You, you're, you're looking at, I mean, it's just all of this stuff that Jesus did not teach. Digging up old stuff. You know, just running rampant. Not realizing what Christ has accomplished, what he's done. How do I know? Because this was my life. This was my life. I was mapping demons, trying to figure out how to get in the enemy's camp. Look, if this is offending you, go listen to the teaching I, I did on generational curses and some of the other teachings. Definitely listen to last week because I'm not mocking anyone. I'm giving us life because a lot of these things that we do, we are doing them. Get that again. We are doing them, trying to get something from God that he has already given us. Oh my goodness, Jesus is enough. Believer's authority is real. Jesus's way is righteous. We're building Psalm 11, one through three is our foundation scripture. And this is where we're going to move on. It says, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is what that scripture means to us in present day, it's one of the applications we can take because in the time that this was written, David wrote this, people were trying to tell them, run, y'all gonna die. Y'all need to just run. Y'all need to just get up out of there. And, and David was saying, that's, that's, that's fear. That's fear. Are we gonna live in fear? If we're gonna live in fear of what man can do, then what good is it being righteous? That's, what, that's basically what David was saying. He was like, if the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of the prayer that Jesus introduced to us, the better way are destroyed, what can the righteous do? All we can do is toil. All we can do is work. 
all we can try to do is put Jesus on the cross over and over again to redo, and we can't do that, what he has already done. Oh, God. Oh, my God. If the foundations are destroyed, and one of the most profound foundations that are destroyed in this hour is the foundation of prayer. It's the foundation of prayer. Today, I put some um, notes inside the, I think I put some notes inside the Bible study group. Then I saved that. I don't know if I saved it or not, so I can't really pull it up. I was going to try to pull it up, but if I can, I'm going to do it real quick. No, I, I didn't save it. But if you go inside the, um, the, the Bible study group, one of the foundations that we need to understand is our identity in Christ. And I know that's something we give people in discipleship class, but I, I keep something like that on my wall behind the computer. You cannot see it but I have nothing but declarations about who I am in Christ. I'll never outgrow that, but you know, you got Christians today. I don't need that. I know who I am. You know, all that, all that religion and all that pride. I already know about prayer. You can't teach me something I don't already know. Listen, I'm teaching my self stuff that I thought I knew. We should revisit foundations as often as we can in our own Bible study, especially when we have a new point of reference. I'm gonna challenge you with something. How many books do you have on your shelf right now that talks about the prayer life of Jesus? Right? I bet you can't find one because this is not something that people teach. They too busy teaching how Isaiah and, and, and Samuel and, they're too busy teaching how all these people pray. They're too busy remembering the greatest prayer warriors that ever walked the earth, right? <laughs> you know, in their time and with what they had, they were effective. And I want to share with you that, that I am not saying people are ineffective with their prayers because God, God meets us at our heart condition and at our heart level. So you can be jumping up and down, spinning around. You can be writing names on boards all day and declaring to the board. But in the heart of it, God knows they are desperate for me to heal their loved ones. God is still moving. So don't, don't think I'm saying God is not moving. I'm saying to you how much better it is when we know of a more effective and better way to do it. What if I don't have to scream and shout all night long, up all night, unless that's a specific assignment for me and not a habit. Because a lot of that is habit because we've been trained that way. So much of a habit that when we're really called into a place of intercession that requires us to pray like that, we can't enter into anything new because it's routine. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. I, I hope this is making some kind of, of impact in your life. I hope that you're able to really follow me and not think that in any way that I am dishonoring somebody's prayer life because we can only do what we know to do. If religion is all we've known, God is still with us and all of that religion, we are just kind of, you know, on that mountain, circling, circling, 
circling, thinking it's new and it's old. A lot of people have, have a lot of newness that's really old stuff and it's not new. New is new. Where is the next level of understanding prayer? Where is the next level of understanding God? Looking at God's life, looking at the life of Jesus, how he lived in prayer. How did Jesus live in humility? How did Jesus live in grace? How did Jesus live in compassion? These are studies that we need in the hour that we are living in without any people being involved without any people being involved. Can you study something without involving your favorite character? We have to get to that kind of place where we're looking at the patterns of Jesus in their lives and not just looking at, this is what Paul did, so I guess that's okay for me. No, we learned in our Bible study that, you know, everybody can't wave a handkerchief and heal everybody, <laughs> you know, that might not be your grace. Your grace could be, they could look at a painting you created and weep and their hearts be rendered toward the Lord. They may hear a poem and be on their face. You have to use what is in your hand. I want you to remember the 365 um, promises or guarantees that I gave you a couple of weeks ago. Those are inside the um, Bible study group also. Download those. There's no need for me to rewrite them. I just really want you to see what some people have taken the time to do. And I'm like, oh my God, Lord, for them to write those little short sentences along with those scriptures, that's some serious Bible study. That's some serious looking. I can't imagine what the revelation is that these people may have drawn from those passages of scripture that they took the time to intricately put together. Oh man. Uh, how Jesus taught prayer is our kingdom model. Um, we talked about strange fire. We talked about yokes. We, ta um, we taught that Jesus talked about things that hindered prayer. This isn't a complete list. But the things that he said in the prayer was unforgiveness, lack of faith. But he said, all you needed was faith, the crane of a mustard seed, ask anything, you know that. He said, ungodly motives, wrong desires, selfish ambition, willful sin, disobedience, lack of humility. <laughs> Praying like the Pharisees. Begging is futile. Asking and begging are not the same. And sometimes we need help knowing the difference. <laughs> we really do. We need people to be truthful with us, to let us know when we begging and when we are asking. Humility is a requirement for prayer. Oh, now that is taught so profoundly in the life of Jesus. Even when he said he counted himself not equal to God. He recognized his place. Oh, prayer in secret is preferred concerning certain things. They're public prayer. We know that, you know, but, but prayer in secret for some of our struggles is what is preferred. And I, you know, there's more. 
and we'll get into the more later because I've added a couple of things to here since last Sunday and next Sunday you're going to see three more things added. <laughs> but I just want you to recognize this. Humility is a posture for prayer. A lot of people pray pridefully and they blame it as confidence and the two are not the same. Confidence is completely different because confidence is humility. Pride is something else. The boldness that people exhibit, a lot of it is nothing but pride. It's not humility. Not saying you need to go around wondering this, that, and the other. You can screenshot these scriptures if you want to. They'll be in the replay. And so this is where I'm gonna ask you to bear with me. Oh my goodness, we don't even have time, but y'all gonna have to give me some time because I need to go through the go through some of these real quick just to make a point to you about what God is showing us through the life of Jesus. And I think it's so profound. Just just bear with me for a moment. And I believe this is what we have missed in our spiritual growth and development. So we're gonna walk through it. Give me 15 minutes to walk through it with you. 15 minutes. Let's share a different screen. Um, here we are. I just want to read this. We all know Ephesians 4. We've blown up this, this particular chapter, but this isn't about the Ephesians 4.11 gifts. I just want to show you this. We all know that. I want to go here and just um, the verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, well, he gave them these gifts to equip people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. Oh my goodness. So important. That maturity, as we continue to dig this out, the only way we can become mature or reach the fullness of Christ is to know how to walk out his mind. I want to hold us there for a minute. What we're being asked to do is not just do what he did. We do miracles. We do signs. We do wonders. We teach. We prophesy. We pray. But the fullness of Christ is doing it out of the mind, the apostolic mind that Christ had. Fullness is a level of maturity, not just that you're not acting like a child, but that you're acting with full understanding in your effort in the spirit realm, as well as your effort in the natural. Our role as leaders is to help you Reach, reach that fullness. I have a level of fullness that I've achieved. So my goal is to at least help people get to where I am in that fullness, not be like me, but be in a place where I can think out of an apostolic place. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. We, in other words, if I am leading people, I don't want to be leading them as beggars, right? I, want, I don't want to lead them as people who always need a couch to lay on to spill out their problems. Because in the spirit realm, that's not maturity. We all have moments 
but we can't have a moment so great that we don't want to leave the couch or that we feel like we always got to have a platform for this and that. We have to learn how to move to a place where even if I get nobody to listen to me in this particular group, that I have the good sense to move on to where I can be heard and not hold regret and not hold people and be mad with folks because they leaving or not listening. You know, listen, one of the greatest mature places that you can be in is called moving on. Not moving on out of it, out of offense, but moving on and letting go so that you can continue the assignment that God has for you. Before I move further, I just want to get some confirmation that you all understand what is being said here. And I'm not saying that you are not clear. We're on Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. The hope of us is that full measure is in our mind, not just in the things that people can see. Right? I'm going to close that scripture. I want us to see this this next one. Now, I'm going to have to read this, and I'm going to read it slowly. I'm going to skip some things, but I want you to hear it. Read the whole book of Colossians. Conservators, I've been begging y'all to do this for years. Some of you have. I know because we've talked about it. Others need to really dig into this book. But listen, because you want to know what Christ accomplished? you need this book listen to this listen to the revelation in this book thank you paul he said he wrote this he said to the church of Colossus. he said since then you have been raised with christ listen to this set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things above not on earthly things, for you died, not you dying to Christ, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do you believe this? Because, you know, sometimes the way we pray indicates that we don't. This is Colossians 3, the whole chapter, so there's not a verse. I just want you to see this. Set your mind on things above. So fullness requires us to come. Lord, I know what I'm going through right now. It seems like there is no hope, but you said you never leave me or forsake me. Lord, I know that this is not going to last always. I know that there is an end to this. We have to begin to set our mind above. We always have to have hope. That's why the scripture says three things remain. Faith, you got to believe God. Hope that tomorrow is going to be better. And love that you are a son and he is not going to reject you no matter what you're going through right now. Oh my God, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, listen, I'm going to give you this scripture in a different way. When Christ, who is your life, appears in you and shows up and helps you become who you're supposed to be, you will see him appear in glory. I hope somebody caught that. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not just you waiting for Christ to come back. It's not just you waiting for some rapture that will never happen. It's not just for you. Christ is appearing in you right now. Can you apprehend it? <laughs> this isn't a waiting on him to come scripture. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The Christ in me is my hope of glory right now. Lord, I see all that is before me. I see all the things that I have to do. God, you know what's happening in my life and with my children. But Lord, I need you to appear and raise me up. I need to be able to see above and not beneath. Huh? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What? Put to death whatever be, uh, um, belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And this isn't just about sex, people. Let's keep reading. <laughs> Let's keep reading. Let's go over here to verse five. Let's say it a different way um, um, in the New King James. So put to death and deprive of power. I want you to hear that. This amplified, gotta be. So put to death and deprive of power. You put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual self-centered instincts, immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Because these sinful things, the divine, because of these sinful things, the divine wrath of God is coming, which just means judgment. He, it, that's what it means. On the signs of disobedience, those who fail to listen and who routinely and obstinately disregard, God, disregard God's precepts. Why is this important to me? This is important to me now, and it should be important to you, because as you read through this, you'll find that even the way we think is an abomination before God. When we choose, having gotten the word, I'm going to show it to you in the next passage. You've gotten all the instructions. I don't know how to do it. I'm trying to stay encouraged. I'm Either, either you need to hook up with some people that can help you stay encouraged by giving you truth. You need to work to change your mind. I want you to hear me. You have to put in the work to change your inner conversation. People want miracles, signs, and wonders in their inner conversation. But sometimes that can't happen because the inner conversations are so messed up. A deep awakening has to occur. And it's the kind of awakening that we have to work for. We have to turn every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. We have to bring those strongholds down. We have to take those things into captivity. We have to release those scriptures. Well, I don't want to talk to Apostle Teresa because she always trying to give me scriptures and pray the word of God and declare that's not what I need, but that is what you need because your mind messed up. Your inner conversation is rotten. Oh my God. Oh. 
Oh my God. How can the, the sick reject the help, which is healing? But when we don't understand the role the mind plays in prayer, oh my God, we're in trouble because that's the greatest lesson that Christ teaches us about prayer. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What you think? There's a magic wand out there where he's just going to zap you with his mind? Oh, oh my God. That's the part. You have to practice the mind of Christ until you believe it. Not to fake it till you make it. That's something else. I'm talking washing your mind with the word. That's why I gave you those scriptures on the identity, your identity in Christ. That's why I gave you those scriptures on 365 promises. So uh, those promises are those guarantees or things that, that are innate to sonship because they're immovable. All of those promises were active in Jesus's life in the earth. He believed every single one of them. Oh my God, put down these books, please. Put down these books. Stop listening to these prophets. Get in your own prayer closet with the word and convince yourself, not because your favorite person wrote it, but because of what Jesus said. Go back and listen to the instructions from last week. Let's stop quoting people. And quote Jesus. Can we do that? Because when we can't do that, that lets us know who is influencing us greater than the Lord. Oh my God. This mind, I want to give you this, this passage right here. The word mind has many meanings, but in that passage of scripture that we're listening to, it's the Greek word 3563 from the Strong's the word for mind. And I want you to also know that there are two types of um, two types of meanings that loosely come from this. One is understanding and one is, um, you know, one is understanding is the translation. So when you're reading about the mind, know that, that, that some of those words actually are saying understanding, but you can go deeper than that. I just want to give you this to put this in context. The mind comprising alike the faculties of perceiving and understanding and those of feeling and judging and determining. So what does this mean? That means that if your inner conversation is wrong, then your faculties are perceiving and understanding, feeling, judging, and determining from that downward place, right? I hope you all are hearing. So if your internal conversation is made of rot, then what you're perceiving is going to be tainted. This is why every day we have to choose. This spiritual maturity never ends for any of us. Today, I can only understand based on the condition of my mind. Oh my goodness. Today, I can only understand 
based on the condition of my mind in this moment. And that's not a condemning place. Hear me in the spirit. That means I am postured to learn. That means I'm postured for overcoming. That means that I have some goals to set on the inside of me. That means I have an opportunity every day to see God's glory. That means that I need to commune with him more. It doesn't mean you're inadequate. It doesn't mean you're not a mature human being. It doesn't mean that you're behind somebody else. It just means that the race that you're in right now has you in a place where you have to apprehend deeper levels of truth every single day. Absolutely. If the premise is wrong, then everything that's built on it is wrong. Oh my goodness. The mind, faculties of perceiving and understanding, those of feeling, judging, and determining, the intellectual faculty, your ability to understand, reason in the narrower sense as the capacity for spiritual truth, the higher powers of the soul, the faculty of perceiving divine things, of recognizing goodness and of hating evil, the power of considering and judging soberly, calmly and impartially. I want, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So we can easily say that putting on the mind of Christ is simply learning how to think like him, learning how to approach situations like him, learning how to you how to look at leaders in your life and say, wow, look at the effort they've put in to live in the apostolic mind. Look at the efforts they've placed to be able to not be attached to people wrong. Look at the efforts they've, they've done. We need to see Jesus. What can I do, Lord, to clear up my mind? Because when you clear up my mind, you can move forward and you can move on. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I just, Lord, I want them to get this. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 6 in um, Colossians 3, verse 6. But now you must also rid yourself of all things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I see, I wanted to read this because I don't want to stop where all the Christians normally stop, right up here in the first few words. You know, so do not lie to each other since you have been take to have taken off your old self with this practices and have put on the new self. Oh, so I take off the old self. I take off the old self. It's not the enemy. I take off the old self and I deliberately put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Everything that I've shared with you is right here. Listen to this. Here, there is no Gentile. There's no T.D. Jakes. There's no <laughs> gentle Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ all and is all and in all. Laid the books down. Stop looking at, Paul said it again. Why are you fighting over who's teaching you like best? Apollos or Paul, what does it matter? Same conversation. Are they teaching Jesus? Here, there is no Gentile or Jew in the spiritual realm, in this place 
of laying down all of these things. There's no Gentile Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. What? Christ is in the barbarian? <laughs> Let me explain that. All he's saying is that all humanity comes from God. The devil cannot give birth to people. <laughs> he can't, he can't create anything. All people, even the people you can't stand, they come from God, right? They just haven't had a rebirth, not everybody. They haven't been born again. But the soul that's missing love, the soul that's missing belonging is really just looking for its creator. But that's for another teaching. Therefore, as God's chosen people, oh, so now he's going back to the chosen, which is you and I. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, basically the fruit of the spirit. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Remember now, I want to hold this point. Hold this point. Let's go right back up. Listen to this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. All this that he's describing is how to do it. How do you do this? Every day you determine, I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be patient. Not I'm going to put this on and act and pretend. It's like I'm working toward it. I'm going to do everything I can to like you. I'm going to do everything I can to be kind to you today because I've been mean all week. So look, I, I repent. And so now, I mean, so we're looking at how to do this. Then it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. Admonish is correction. One another with all wisdom. And you can do it through songs, you know, poetry, songwriting. You can do it through hymns and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, forms of prayer. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for the father through him. Oh my goodness. All of this is about the mind. All of it is not about rebuking the devil out of you. That's your mind. And when we have certain mindsets, which is completely different from having the apostolic mind, because we can have mindsets on how to pray. We can have, have mindsets on how marriage should be. One people, a person could be teaching freedom in marriage. The other person teaching bondage. You got women praying for their husband like, like they out of their mind. And not even understanding that God has, there's a freedom that God has given us of, of that. I mean, oh my God, there's just so much freedom. But we choose bondage. But we're supposed to live as people alive. Not people dead to law, but alive. Okay, I gotta finish, gotta finish. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. What was that mind in Christ Jesus? What was his mind? It was all the humility. It was all Galatians 5, um, 22. It was all of what we just read. It was, let the name, let the same mind be in you. That definition we just heard. Let the understanding of Christ be in you. Let the consideration be in you. Let the emotions be in you. Let the desire and the will be come above. Oh my goodness. Who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. People exploit prayer. Jesus did not. Jesus did not exploit prayer. He did not exploit his graces. He did not exploit his gifts. But he emptied himself. Oh my God. He became a student. Taken on the form of a slave. He became a student who is a servant. Being born in human likeness. He walked the earth to demonstrate. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And then Jesus told us earlier, he said, listen, take up your cross and follow me. Do you know there's a whole bunch of people who think their cross is their ministry? And that's, Jesus wasn't talking about that. Taking up your heart taking up your mind. That's what that means. Take up your mind. Take up your heart. Humble yourself. Jesus humbled himself for us. Now we're being called into that. What does this have to do with prayer? Everything. Every, everything, everything. Because until we learn to pray from the mind of Christ, we will always be blown by every wind of doctrine that comes our way. We will always want the next best tactic because we don't believe God will answer our prayers from right where we are. We will always be in a minds, in our minds, in a place of work, a place of performance. We will always be looking for and stretching ourselves to be something big and great so we can say, my prayer got through. Oh my goodness. Christ prayed from the mind that he obtained and access with God. He prayed from the real inner conversation that he had. Oh Lord Jesus. He prayed from the real identity that he believed was upon him. He prayed from his identity. He prayed from guarantees, not wishes and dishes and stacks. 
He prayed from above. Not just because the scripture looked like it was above, but he, he did whatever was necessary. How do I know? Because the greatest demonstration of this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see his countenance fall, where we see him battling with his apostles. He's like, look, y'all, I need y'all to pray. I'm about to die. I'm not going to make it. I, you know, I'm panicking. Anxiety is high. Depression is setting in. He's, he's losing it because that is what was happening. Whether we want to acknowledge that Jesus went through that or not, but the scripture tells us all the time that he experienced everything common to man. Yet he did not sin. Jesus had to fight that night. But somewhere in the midst of that fight, he was like, God, my mind is out of whack. I'm not thinking correctly. I want you to save me. Can you spare this cup? Can you, just like some of us are right now. But in the midst of that crying, and, his, and they said his tears were like blood, for goodness sake. He understood where we are in our prayer lives. But get this, somewhere in that moment, and we all have a moment if we are pressing hard enough, if we're determined to change our mind, if we're willing not to succumb to the human thought system, the way we think, if we're, if we're willing to rise above, God is gonna already, who is already in that high place is going to pull us up with him within the capacity we're able to obtain at that time. And the next thing we know, Jesus just seems to snap out of it. And all he says is, not my will, but thy will be done. He came into the high place. He came into the above place. He showed us that all that preaching Jesus had done, everything that he had been through, he got into this one moment. And, and the people he thought was going to help him, they couldn't help him. Oh, my gosh. You see, this is the thing. This is the thing that God wants us to see. Our prayer lives match our mind. They do. They match where we're at. And we have to understand that Christ's prayer life was effective because he believed what God had already promised. And he believed who God said he was. I want you to work overtime in your broken places before God. That God, I need to believe you love me. I need to believe that you are for me. I need to believe, God, that you're going to do what you said concerning me that are your according to your guarantees and your promises. And Lord, I'm willing to lay down things that have caused me to beg because that's not a guarantee, but it was a word you gave. It may have been a prophecy I received about my destiny, but that can't be the reason why I'm stuck in my prayer life. 
I don't want to spend my days wrestling with you because something's not answered. I want to trust in the things you've already promised to the point of revelation. To the point of giving, getting that one word of breakthrough that is of your guarantees. That's what I need, God. And that's what I want. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The mind of Christ is learning to process the world around us with understanding concerning intention, eternity, and sonship. The mind of Christ in us teaches us, guides us in processing the world around us with understanding concerning Christ's intention, our role in eternity, and our sonship. It is not convincing yourself solely by changing how you think through meditation, declarations, and decrees. It is allowing his mind to consume you. It's allowing his mind to consume you. Some of you have been through so much, but until you get to the end of yourself, until you get to the end of yourself, until you get to the end of yourself, we won't see the breakthrough that God has for us. We won't see it because we'll be, we'll be focusing on what God has not done versus what he's promised. I declared over myself this year that this will be a year that I will believe God in a way I never have. I'll believe him regardless of the circumstances that come. I've, I've been tested in that in myself. God isn't testing me. My faith has been tested in a lot of ways over the last three years, as, as all of us have been. But we've got to get to a place where we are passing those tests and we're rising above every time they come.